welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Keto. I have heard from a lot of you who are trying the keto diet right now, and Perfect Keto has several products that make it so much easier and tastier. They have keto-friendly sports drinks with zero additives, zero carbs, and only high-quality ingredients, and I've gotten so many questions about this. They also have exogenous ketones that raise blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimoles per liter, so that would be simulating a fast. A lot of people use these exogenous ketones to increase mental performance and energy production and fat burning without the need to do extended fasting. And Perfect Keto really just helps make ketosis available to everyone, everywhere, all the time without the need to do extended fasting, like I said. You can check out these and all of their other products at perfectketo.com forward slash healthy moms. And if you use the code healthy moms, all uppercase, you can save 20% on any order. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. They are one of my favorite companies. They make a wide variety of really delicious drinks using medicinal mushrooms like chaga and cordyceps, reishi, lion's mane, and others. I especially love their instant coffee packets, which have all of the taste of regular coffee, but are easier to make, they have less caffeine, and they actually give me more of a brain boost due to the medicinal mind-boosting mushrooms. They make amazing hot cocoa mixes that my kids love, and there's also a wonderful matcha drink. They have all of that and more, and you can check out all of their products and grab a 15% discount at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama. So again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama. Hello and welcome to the wellness mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I cannot wait to dive into this episode because I am here with Andy Petronek, which I hope I'm saying right, who has been a health and fitness leader for many years. He's been a coach for over 25 years. He was a United States Marine, a sponsored athlete in the endurance and obstacle course and adventure racing. He was featured as one of the original 10 CrossFit affiliates in the world, CrossFit Los Angeles, and he's the co-founder of The Whole Life Challenge, a worldwide six-week online in-your-life game that you play with friends and family to improve your daily fitness and well-being habits, which I am about to jump into if anybody wants to compete with me. And each week, thousands of people tune into his podcast, the Andy Petronek Podcast, where he talks to exceptional people about their expertise in one of the seven daily habits that he writes about, nutrition, mobility, exercise, sleep, hydration, well-being, and reflection. So Andy, welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks. That was quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> you have quite the bio. I got to be on your podcast recently, and I know how easy you are to talk to, and I know this is going to be a super fun conversation. So I want to dive right in. And first and foremost, with a bio like that, tell us your story. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into the health world to begin with, because it sounds like you've pretty much done it all. You know, the health world, I kind of backdoored my way into the health world because I, I mean, I really had no... I, there's no way I would have predicted that that's where I would end up from my upbringing. I grew up in a family of musicians. So my mom, orchestra conductor and string teacher and violinist. My aunt was a concert pianist and a, and a teacher and a choral teacher. My dad was a orchestra conductor. I had a tuxedo and was playing in orchestras and going to orchestra concerts before I could even walk. So it was a very different childhood than the way my life looks today. I made a, a right turn at Albuquerque, you know, from Bugs Bunny, uh, when uh, I got to college and I kind of found that there was a lot of things that were still left to be explored in life outside of music. 
And um, in spite of the fact that I was, I was at e- the Eastman School of Music, which is like one of the top music schools in the world, I was like, okay, I'm, I want to go, you know, explore other stuff. And um, I got into weight, lift, lifting weights and getting in shape. And part of that came from the fact that I was a uh, United States Marine uh, scholarship, NROTC scholarship. You know, I don't know. Follow, I was in ROTC in college and they paid my way through college. So part of it was I had to, but also part of it was I, it was fun. It was really fun. It was a very new, brand new thing for me. I think one of the things in hindsight that was really cool about the fact that I didn't do many sports growing up is I, I didn't get any injuries and I, I had no wear and tear on my body. So everything was very fresh and new and different and exciting for me. Got super fit uh, being a Marine and then I got out of the Marine Corps and um, kind of found my way into the corporate job world where because I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do, which is uh, very difficult for a lot of former military people to, to get out and figure it out where, what the, where, where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And I fell into a job that was an engineering job and a sales job. And uh, while I was doing that, I discovered something called the, the Eco Challenge, which was a brand new adventure race that was going to be run in the United States, run by a guy named Mark Burnett, who was unknown at the time, but he became the start of of uh, reality television, Survivor, and now a lot more stuff. And it was his first television event. It was it was on the Discovery Channel. And um, I registered my team. I threw a wad of cash down. I would think it was ten thousand bucks to enter the Eco Challenge. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't even have a team. I, you had to have a five person team. I didn't have anything. And uh, I just knew I would was going to do it. And that kind of set a trajectory for the next eight years. I was adventure racing, long races, which were like three or four, 500 miles. And then short races that were like three hours and building relationships and being on teams and being around teams and then getting sponsored by Red Bull to compete in the short races. And I, you know, people started asking me, what are you doing to be in such great shape? And so I kind of naturally fell into the personal training world. Um, I had gone back and gotten a, um, massage therapy certification. So I did have a little bit of anatomy and physiology training. And then I went back and did a bunch of, uh, catch up. Like I, I went back to UCLA and kind of, I just wanted to fill in a lot of the gaps because I really didn't know anything about the whys of why the body works and how the body works and biomechanics. And, you know, I, I knew nothing essentially. And so I went back and filled in a lot of those gaps and then I went down and trained with Paul Check for for like four over the course of about four years, and then built a clientele of personal training clients and discovered CrossFit. And I became the ninth affiliate back in this is in two thousand four, and uh, CrossFit just epitomized at the time their structure and their philosophy epitomized really why I was doing what I was doing. Like it was really about health and well being and fitness. And being your best. And um, it was a system that captured a lot of the way I felt about why I was doing what I was doing. And so it was a very natural, organic fit for me. And that affiliate became one of the kind of leaders in the in the world, the CrossFit world. I mean, people today still know the original 10 CrossFits and you know, CrossFit LA was one of those. Then that brings me to what I'm doing now, which is the whole life challenge. It started in 2011 and it started as just another opportunity to help people change their lives in my gym. I had been doing fitness challenges for about 10 years that were do a workout, 
train for, for eight weeks and then do the workout again and see how much you've improved by. We added a little competition to it. We added some money to it to give people some skin in the game. And we were in the process of trying to answer the question, how do we make this more impactful in people's lives? How do we bring in the other elements that are so important to their health and well-being, not just fitness? How do we bring in you know, um, mindfulness? And how do we bring in nutrition? And how do we bring in stretching and mobility? And we came up with this very basic format. We included um, the, the, the point, a point system and a leaderboard. And we fortunately had a couple of software developers who were on our team, who were who, not were on our team, who were clients at the gym. And they talked us off the ledge of doing a Google, big shared Google spreadsheet. Um, that was our f- first plan at doing this. And uh, we, the whole life challenge was born. And uh, we did the first one in 2011 with 150 people. We did then the second one the year after with about 300 people. Those people that were in our first one invited their friends and family. And then we launched it into a worldwide thing where we went back to a lot of the CrossFit gyms that I had relationships with. We, we, we brought in a, a business consultant who I had partnered with previously. And we made him a kind of an exclusive Whole Life Challenge the, the first global whole life challenge was going to be exclusively for the gyms that he consulted with. And we suddenly had 7,000 people in the first whole life challenge around the world. And that kind of gave us our footprint and our foothold. And um, since then, we've grown. We've increased. We do it now uh, three, four times a year. The, the challenge is only six weeks long. We had 28,000 people in the January whole life challenge this year. And we're, you know, continuing to grow about 20% a year and um, changing lives, like really profound, long lasting change, mostly because of the approach we take. It's very, you know, if you hear my bio and you hear all the crazy hardcore stuff I've done, which you guys just heard, you might think that the whole life challenge is some crazy hardcore competition and it has nothing, it's nothing like that. So, you know, it's really about being gentle and taking manageable, uh, setting manageable and reachable goals and, um, and changing your life one baby step at a time. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. (laughs) I love that. And I definitely want to delve deeper into the whole life challenge, but first I feel like I have to ask you because I have a few close friends who were Marines or are Marines and, I feel like certainly like you guys can definitely compete with the best in the world on physical fitness. But what I really, what really strikes me is the difference is the mindset. And so I'm so curious um, if or how the Marines and that whole experience changed your mindset and your grit and your ability to power through things and how that's fallen through into your daily life now, even as a retired Marine. It's a really good question. I, I think that music had a lot to do with me being a quote unquote success as a Marine. Like I think the discipline and the practice and the daily regimented requirement to keep showing up played a big part in, in going into the Marines. But then the Marines just, I didn't have a competitive, combative bone in my body really um, prior to being in the Marines. I mean, it's not I don't think it was that I didn't have it is I, I just wasn't connected to it. I didn't really, I think there was part of me that always wanted, wanted that. And I didn't know how to get it. I didn't know how to access it. And 
I mean, as you can imagine, the Marines, that is definitely one thing that they excel at. <laughs> I mean, self-discipline and esprit de corps and, and learning that the choices you make matter. And they matter to those around you and they matter to yourself. And, you know, the honor and the integrity and the esprit de corps, the kind of the, the pride you take in, in who you are on the inside, those kinds of things all became very normal. That became part of my life, part of my, my being. I, I think one of the things the Marines does really, does really well is it injects its operating system on top of either it pulls some of your operating system out and injects its operating system on top. And in getting out, I think that's one of the hardest things in, in getting out of the Marines is, is finding again your own operating system. All those things that were part of my Marine way of being all have, have become integrated into my life now in various ways. And they are incredibly valuable and supportive and helpful. You know, I, I think I will always run the risk of allowing them, they can run amok easily. They can, you know, if I, if I get too connected and too attached to some of those ways, I can come across as a, an asshole or arrogant or, you know, too strong-willed. And so I just have to be conscious of that and know that it's not just my way or the highway. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I've learned that really well over the years in, in working with and building teams that are not military-based. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to build some pretty amazing teams around building successful businesses. And um, yeah, so I don't know, does that answer your question? It does. I'm always curious because I, I'm a big believer that our life experiences really form us. And I know for me, at least, the toughest experiences in life tend to have had the most positive impact later on and provided me skills that I needed at another point in life. And I figured like your answer, that it would be similar with the Marines and going through something that was difficult, but also I'm sure amazing at times, and then having to transmit that into normal life afterwards. So super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, that was my experience wholeheartedly. It's, it was one of the, you know, it was probably the hardest period of my life and, and definitely the boot camp and the officer candidate school and the, the basic school were some of the hardest schools because they're pretty long and uh, arduous and physically demanding and mentally demanding and emotionally demanding. Some of the hardest stuff I've ever done. Yeah, I've never been through it, but I've heard that, that it teaches you your physical limits, but even more so like mentally what you're capable of. And that's the more important lesson. So thank you for sharing that. And I can imagine that it would improve like your discipline and your follow through in daily life. It makes perfect sense. And I want to go back to the whole life challenge too, because I'm super fascinated by this concept because I feel like there is so much health and wellness information out there. And the reason I wanted to have you on is that I feel like the big key that people struggle with the most is the consistency and the motivation, because a lot of us know a lot of information about what we should be doing and it's actual day-to-day implementation and also sticking with it for the long term that really makes the difference. And that's the hardest part. So I feel like you've really addressed this challenge, but I'd love if you could go a little deeper on like how you incorporate those different steps and what that actually looks like in a day-to-day scenario? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, engagement is a really, really big thing. And keeping people engaged and interested is a really, really big thing. And, you know, we tried and our first attempt at the whole life challenge was a dismal failure. 
basic, uh, I mean, it wasn't a failure in that it, it was a step in making the whole life challenge, but it was a failure in terms of affecting my community because we, we built it as a educational platform. We called it food university and it was an eight or 10 week course. You had to get blood work at the beginning and blood work at the end. And we would, we were teaching things about hormones and body systems and your circulate circulatory and you know, how all these things on the, the outside affected what was going on on the inside. And the information was really, really good, but we found that we, we only had 12 people sign up for the course. I think about two people were still engaged in it by the end. And it really wasn't translating to action in people's life. And we, we realized like, okay, well that doesn't work. More information and I think you hit the nail on the head. There's so much information available. I mean, if you want to know something about any part of your body and you Google it, it, it might not be the end all be all and you have to be careful of your sources, but there is information available. And most of, a lot of it is really, really good information available at your fingertips. People still have trouble with motivation. So the answer is not more information. The answer, the answer that we came up with was action. Like how do we, we wanted to build action and requirements for action into the practice and into the challenge, into the game. But we wanted to do it in a way that didn't require judging and didn't require, you know, uh, well, it requires rules, but it doesn't require, a you know, like a doctorate degree to interpret the rules. And we also didn't want to, we didn't want to turn people into followers of the gurus of the whole life challenge. Like, because for us, my the mother load for me as a trainer was to stop people from thinking they need a trainer. Like, learn what you need to learn and then go back to your life and do it in your life. And be responsible for making the right choices and doing the right things that you already know how to do because you learned how to do it. And so that was a really important part of building in the challenge. It's funny because when people sign up sometimes, they're like, well, where's the meal plan? And where's the exercise plan? I want to know what I need to do every day. And we're like, well, there isn't any. And it's not that there isn't any info available on our website for that stuff. There's tons. There are tons of options. But the difference between what we're doing and what a lot of other people are doing is we don't tell you what to do. We don't tell you how long to do it. We don't tell you, you know, how to properly prepare or give you even a food list or a, we give you a food list of what's allowed and what's not allowed, but we don't tell you, we don't give you a shopping list. We don't give you recipes to follow. We encourage and actually kind of require you to actually do some work and to, to be a responsible party in your own health and, and, and fitness. And when we get engagement that way, when we get people who are willing to do that, because it, it does limit the audience. It definitely limits the people who are willing to do this. You know, I'd say if we were doing some sort of a social media, massive, you know, do this, do this thing, there would be a level of expectation of give me what I need to do this. And, you know, let me just follow the directions and make it easy for me. And it doesn't lead to long-term change. All that, all that happens at the end of that is, okay, now I need the next one. And now I need the next set of instruction and rules. So when you, when you engage this way, you, you actually become part of the process of your own process and you start experimenting and exploring. So that's part of the secret behind the engagement. And the other part is the points and the accountability with the points and the, the, um, camaraderie and community around writing reflections. 
the um, the the points, you know, people have very interesting they have very interesting relationships with points. Some people will die for points. I mean, they will do, I, I shouldn't say die. They'll do anything in the world to get points and to get more points. And so they look at the whole life challenge and they look at the rules and the rules are very simple and they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to go for a perfect score. Of course. And that is not always the best way to approach the, the challenge because it means very often that you're making choices that that void your life of joy, that void your life of not your complete life, but like choices you'd make if you were going to your best friend's wedding and you're like, okay, I'm not having a piece of cake because that would cost me a point in the whole life challenge. Or I have to get my workout in first thing in the morning. So I'm going to go to bed early during the bachelor party and not drink because I'm going to lose my points in drinking. And I've got to get to bed early so I can get up in the morning and get my workout in because I won't have another time to do it. Like I admire those choices. They're great. But there are events in life that supersede those being that super accountable for points. So having points in the mix allows people to start to make those choices and start to make those decisions and be engaged, knowing the consequences of the choices and then being able to say, you know what? It's worth it. The points worth the, 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 the five points or the two points or whatever was worth the event that I got to participate in. And then sometimes it works the other way around. That bowl of ice cream that is calling my name from the fr- from the freezer at eleven o'clock at night when nobody else is around, that's not worth the point. I, I don't need to do that. And so it, it works both ways. And you know, the points feed right into the team accountability board because other people are looking at your points. And that adds another level of being accountable, as does your writing and your reflections. So your each day that you write something about your progress everyone, it's not private, it's public. And so everybody on your team can see what you're writing about. And hopefully, you know, you're, you're being perhaps of the most intimate secrets of your life. You're not going to share because it's not intended for that, but, but you get an opportunity to be vulnerable and to test out being vulnerable in your community and, you know, share with where you need support and where you need help and and then with your successes, so that builds this community piece that's really, really powerful in, in these small teams. I love that. And I love what you just said about balance and about how there are times when the people in the community, the event are more important. Because to me, I think that's something else that can be missed, especially when we get so in-depth into the health and wellness world, is that health and wellness is not necessarily a means in and of itself or an end in and of itself. We are healthy. We try to be healthy and vibrant so that we can be more alive in our relationships, more in community with people to have a more rich life, not just for the sake of eating more vegetables. And I love that, that you brought that point up and that you balance that out. That's, I think that's so important. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, that's, that, that was, um, yeah, it's funny because when we did the first whole life challenge, we had a lot of people who went after it to win and went after it to score all the points. And in fact, our bonuses, we had bonus points back then and you, you could actually earn points on top of a perfect score. So not only did that was an inadvertent mistake that, well, a misstep, I don't know if it was a mistake, but we had people who were not just going for a perfect score. They were going for a perfect score plus a perfect bonus score on top of the perfect score. And we changed that really quickly. We're like, look, you don't get to keep points. You get, you get bonuses, you get bonus tokens and, but they got to be used. And they're there to keep you motivated, keep you interested, have fun with, but they don't count for more on top of a perfect score because otherwise, 
you know, this quest for perfection is just, uh, is not supportive of really your own, your own health and well-being. For sure. And I totally get the appeal of it though, because I'm a perfectionist in recovery and also very competitive. So I can totally see how people could get very competitive with that. Um, can you walk us through a little bit like examples of each of the seven daily practices and what points might actually look like in a practical sense? Yeah, sure. Well, let's see. The, the first one that is, it. look, the whole life challenge is not a nutrition challenge. I should say that right out of the gate. But nutrition and food is the thing that's in front of people, for most people, three to five or six times a day. So it's the one that that if you're going to struggle with something, a lot of people struggle with. So there is a, there's a, obviously there's a food component. Every day of the challenge, you start in the food category with five points. And at the beginning of the challenge, you choose the level that you want to play on. We have a, we have a kickstart level, a, a um, lifestyle level and a performance level. They're really based on improving the hormonal balance in your system and reducing inflammation. But if you were to compare the performance level to something else that's, you know, you want a quick comparison, it, it's close to paleo. It's a, it's a very, very similar, you know, second cousin to paleo. The lifestyle level is meant to be more livable for, you know, like long-term livable. If you have, you know, health issues that you're dealing with, we, you know, that are inflammatory based, uh, we suggest the performance level. Uh, and maybe even more strict than the performance level. But if you're if you're looking to live a long life, and um, you know that's really more the lifestyle level. And then the kickstart level is really for people who have been negligent in how in in paying attention to their their diet and not really accountable to anything. And you know they eat Subway for lunch, and they maybe have some fast food three days a week, and they may you know like like their their diet is in is in need of triage. And so it just gives a lot more options, and it's a lot easier place to to begin. So depending on the level you choose for every infraction of a rule, so let's say on your level, it doesn't allow for, let's just say no alcohol, right? So if you decide that having a glass of wine with dinner is really important, maybe it's a business dinner, maybe it's uh, a celebration of some sort, you want a glass of champagne. If you drink that champagne, you lose a point. So at the end of the day, your goal is to keep all five points. You can't lose more than five. You can't go in the negative. And you score yourself based on the honor system, you know, however, however many points you got or you, you know, not you lost, but how many you got. So you could end a day with one point with anywhere from zero to five points. That is the only area of the seven daily habits that has a single point um, gradation in, in points. Everything else is either you did it or you didn't do it. And they're worth five points or no points. So Moving on from nutrition, you've got exercise. And exercise is very, very simple. You have to do 10 minutes of exercise and you get to decide what counts. Now, our advice is it needs to feel like exercise to you. Now, that can include if you're a hardcore athlete and you are on a rest day and your, your coach tells you, hey, you need to really rest today, you can do active recovery. If you walk your dogs and you're moving around and it's active recovery, that totally counts. If you would consider it part of what you're doing for your, for your fitness, totally counts. My mom can do it. My mom plays and she's 83 years old and she walks. So she'll take a long walk. I probably don't ordinarily count walks as exercise for me because I'm, uh, I'm at a different place in my fitness. So you get to count what you want to count. And all you got to do is 10 minutes. There are no bonus points for doing more. There are no negative graded points for doing, you know, five minutes instead of 10 minutes. You got to get 10 minutes in. And we do the same thing for mobility. So mobility is just a fancy way of saying stretching. 
And that can be with tools like, like lacrosse balls or foam rollers or rubber bands. It can be taking a yoga class. It can be just bending over and hanging from your waist for 10 minutes. It's got to be 10 minutes. You can, you can accumulate the 10 minutes over the course of a day, or you can, you know, do them all at one time. You can do it while sitting in front of the television. Again, there, there's so many options for, for getting this done and getting it in. The next area uh, is sleep. And sleep, you get to decide what a good night's sleep for you is. So we recommend that people don't make too large jumps from where they are currently. So like, let's say you're averaging five hours a night now. We wouldn't recommend that you jump that up to seven hours for the challenge. We'd say maybe a good, a good healthy jump would be five hours and 15 minutes. And every day you get your five hours and 15 minutes, you earn your five points. If you don't get your 515, you, you don't get your five points. Again, there's no gradation. Hydration is one that's also black and whites. We recommend, we require you to drink 30% of your body weight in ounces of water. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that means 50 ounces of water, which is a little bit less than two quarts of water. And, you know, if you're super athletic or you sweat a lot and, or you're training or you live in the deep South and you know, you're sweating more than, or it's summertime, then you probably need more water than that. And, um, I don't really know of a scenario where people need less water than that, but I'm sure there is one. If your doctor tells you don't drink that much water, well then, you know, doctor supersedes and pick a number and that's your number. So we got well-being practices and we've got reflection. I'm going to do reflection first. At the end of every day, we built into the challenge this piece where you have to write about how you're doing or how you've done. And we do that mostly because we want to give people the opportunity not just to do what they have to do, but to think about what they've done and whether or not it's working and whether or not the strategy that they used for doing that thing was a good strategy without just going through the challenge and going through the motion of doing this stuff. We want we want there to actually be a thought around like an evaluation each day. So you get like two chances to evaluate how you did. You get to do it while you do it. And then you get to do it at the end of the day when you reflect on it. And your reflections go into your communication feed, like I said before, and your teammates get to see kind of what you're up to and how you're doing. And again, that's five points. And then the last piece is a well-being practice. The well-being practice changes week by week during the challenge. And this is kind of our catch-all area for things that are definitely related to health, fitness, and well-being, but not as directly a lot of times. You know, like decluttering or like, you know, organizing or like disconnecting from electronics or mindful, like a mindfulness practice, like journaling or meditation or um, even playing happy music. That's one of the, that's, that's come up, a joy, it's a joyful, joyful noise or joyful sound or something like that we call it in the, in the challenge. So those each week change over the course of the challenge. And the, the idea is that you engage in that practice to the best of your ability and we give you some real black and white rules to follow around doing it. And uh, you score yourself, you either did it or you didn't again. So that's really it. Every day you can earn 35 points total. Got it. And it's basically the honor system. It sounds like people are super involved, but they're the ones grading themselves, right? They don't have to submit like photo evidence or any of that. There's no photo evidence. You know, there, if, if you're doing it with a team of people that are your friends and you live close to one another, I think it's more sticky if you do have more to go with it. You know, like you're going to see each other, you guys decide to 
you know, put some money on it or put some, or agree to take the winner out to, to, you know, a big dinner or just, to, it makes it more interesting and more fun. But the reason we don't do that from a global standpoint is we have no way of verifying. We, we don't want to be in that business. This is not a game necessarily to win. This is a game that everybody wins. Everybody's going to win at their own pace and their own speed and in their own life. And um, who are we to say that somebody that loses five pounds on it, one bigger than somebody that didn't lose any weight, but, but change their relationship with their son or daughter? You know, I don't, what's the winner? Who wins that one? That's awesome. And do you feel like, or do you have any follow-up data as to how this, do you feel like this mindset helps people stick with things longer? Like are people continuing to integrate into life after the challenge? We, you know, we don't have any data around that. We, we know that the people that this stuff tends to stick with are the people that continue to come back and do challenge after challenge after challenge. We've had people email us who have not come back and done challenge after challenge and, and, you know, have, have only done one or two challenges and have come back, you know, two or three years later and told us that the, the habits stuck. We haven't tried to set up any sort of double blind studies to prove that this method works. It's funny, me and my partner, Michael, are coaches and we never intended to be, to set ourselves up as being the gurus or the experts or the scientists who are giving people this advice. Like we just looked at what works and what doesn't work for the large group of people that we've always worked with. And this is what works. This is what works for a lot of people. And you know, the people that are willing to re-engage in doing this over, over a long period of time are typically the ones that have the most success doing it. Got it. Yeah, it's such a cool concept. I love it. Uh, I can, actually can't wait to try it myself. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Keto. I have heard from a lot of you who are trying the keto diet right now, and Perfect Keto has several products that make it so much easier and tastier. They have keto-friendly sports drinks with zero additives, zero carbs, and only high-quality ingredients. And I've gotten so many questions about this. They also have exogenous ketones that raise blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimoles per liter. So that would be simulating a fast. A lot of people use these exogenous ketones to increase mental performance and energy production and fat burning without the need to do extended fasting. And Perfect Keto really just helps make ketosis available to everyone, everywhere all the time without the need to do extended fasting, like I said. You can check out these and all of their other products at perfectketo.com forward slash healthy moms. And if you use the code healthy moms, all uppercase, you can save 20% on any order. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. They are one of my favorite companies. They make a wide variety of really delicious drinks using medicinal mushrooms like chaga and cordyceps, reishi, lion's mane, and others. I especially love their instant coffee packets, which have all of the taste of regular coffee, but are easier to make, they have less caffeine, and they actually give me more of a brain boost due to the medicinal mind-boosting mushrooms. They make amazing hot cocoa mixes that my kids love, and there's also a wonderful matcha drink. They have all of that and more, and you can check out all of their products and grab a 15% discount at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama. So again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama. 
I also want to delve into your personal background a little bit because you have such a background in health and I'm always fascinated by people like you and I'm curious to know what are a few of your top daily rituals or tools or practices that you found are the most beneficial in improving or maintaining health? Probably the biggest one for me is winning the morning. Like I, I find that if I win the morning, I win the day. And I know that's kind of cliche, and but it's been a really challenging thing for me, like a practice to, to quote unquote win the morning because I don't typically like to get myself to bed in time to get up early enough to have the quiet time in my house to quote unquote win the morning. And I also need a good amount of sleep. Like if I go to bed at 11, I really need to sleep until like 6.30 or quarter to seven. By the time I do that, my son's up by seven, my wife's up, the house is you know, going pretty strong. It's only three of us, but it's still going pretty strong. And uh, um, I run out of time. So I've had to really do some inner work around getting myself to bed, you know, setting a rigid bedtime, 9.30 or 10 o'clock so that I can get up at 5.30 at the latest and get in the, the ritual. And the rituals, the things on my list are meditation, usually for five or 10 minutes, um, journaling, which usually takes about 10, maybe 15 minutes. I, I play uh, this brain game called Brain HQ. I don't know that that one's any better than um, some of the other ones out there, but they, they help keep me sharp. And I'm, I'm experimenting this year to see how if it over a course of a year that this that makes a difference. So I do that in the morning. I like to get some like 10 minutes of mobility in and I have a few different mobility routines that I follow, like basically a head to toe joint, full articulation of, of all my joints. If I get those things done, I, I drink, I also drink water in the morning and that's a big, big one. Like a first thing in the morning when I get up, I, I try to drink two 12 ounce uh, glasses of water. If I get those things done, the day is, the day's looking pretty good. Like the, the setup of the day is looking pretty good. Now things still may go to crap and I still, you know, things, it doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect, but I feel really good by 6.30 or quarter to seven when those things are done and I, I'm more at peace with, oh, the other thing is I try to at least look over the last thing I do because part of one of the problems for me in the morning is when I turn my phone on, if I let myself go into email or go into Slack or go into Google, like for news, I, it, it becomes a tractor beam and invariably 45 minutes later, I didn't realize, but I'm still on my phone. So when I turn my phone on, I have this very strict rule that I have now for 45 minutes. I don't go anywhere other than um, I, there's a couple of meditation apps I use or to play that brain, that, that brain app. So, um, but the last thing I like to do is do kind of look at my, my calendar and look at my to do's for the day and like kind of give myself a mental rundown of what's coming. I love that. And I'm so with you on that because I keep my phone in airplane mode when I'm sleeping and I try not to turn it off of airplane mode unless I know that like someone in the family needs to text me about something. Um, but until I've gotten through the morning routine and gotten through everything I need to do with my kids and then tackle that when I start tackling work because it's, you're right, it's so distracting and it's so easy to get sucked into that vortex for sure. Yeah. I mean, even just one email, I mean, one email can lead you down. I mean, I've had it happen. One email or one Slack. Somebody, you know, it's very innocent you know, somebody asks you a question that you can answer in 10 seconds, but suddenly my brain jumps into three different things and I don't even realize it's happening. And then suddenly, like I said, you know, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I'm still in Slack. I'm like, God, what just happened? 
Yeah, exactly. So I also want to ask you a somewhat selfish question because you have a background in personal training and obviously in fitness. And I love weight training, especially heavy weights. So I'm always curious to ask people like you who have an expertise, what are the best ways, especially for women? Um, we know the benefits. We know that weight training helps keep your bones healthy, your heart healthy. There's so many benefits. But what are some of the best ways for women to train with weights? Is there a particular type of program or method that seems to work best in your experience? Well, I, you know, I try to steer people away from programs and steer them more in terms of concepts. And I think one of the big mistakes I see women making is treating themselves differently than than humans. And what, what I mean by that is they're not like little delicate flowers. No human is a little delicate flower. And there's no reason that a woman needs to uh, limit herself to just picking up dumbbells that weigh less than a pound and a half. It drives me bonkers because they go home and they pick up their kid or they go home and they pick up a five gallon water bottle and they, they have to get their suitcase. You know, if they're going to be an empowered woman, they're not going to constantly want to ask a man to cart their suitcase around. So they're going to carry it down the stairs themselves. And they need to be able to, in my opinion, weight training and using weights should support what you're doing in life. So if you take a snapshot or a movie uh, you know, of your day and you look around at the ways that you move your body and you pick things up and move things around, what are those movements? You know, you're probably lunging, you're probably squatting, you're probably you may not be doing a pull-up, you may not be pulling yourself up and over a fence, but you're you may be putting something in an overhead compartment, like a briefcase or a maybe a heavier bag. You may be picking your kids up. Is your training doing that? And if your training isn't doing that or mimicking doing that, it doesn't have to do it identically, then perhaps it's time to rethink what you're doing because you're not, you know, little pink dumbbells, you know, they build little muscles like your shoulders, but your body doesn't think about body parts. It works as one homogenous unit. This is how do I accomplish this mission? And if the only thing that you, you've done is work body parts, you have not aligned your training to your life. And that for me is really the key for any, I mean, this goes for men or women, but I just see more women thinking this way than, although you can um, funnel bodybuilding into this same conversation, the weights are heavier, but bodybuilding is the same, the same conversation. So function, 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 function. How do you work? How do you operate? That makes perfect sense. So favoring more like natural movement exercises like squats and deadlifts and pull-ups over just doing like smaller isolated movements, right? Exactly. And, and it doesn't have to necessarily even be with weights. I mean, I can get a great squat workout with doing no weights, but I, but I have to add some intensity, which means I have to like squeeze more work into less time. So, you know, if I was going to, if I was going to give somebody a hard squat workout and with no weights, I would say, okay, why don't we see how fast you can do hundred squats or maybe 50 squats? How fast can you do that? And now I'm there as a trainer to assess form and I wouldn't give that to somebody who didn't already have good form in their squats. But when you add the time component and the pressure that comes with that, you, you add a, a level of intensity that, you know, quite honestly, you're going to come away from that sore and you're going to feel that. And that is effective. It should be hard and it should hurt and it should leave you feeling the result of that the next day. Agree. That's awesome. So a few questions as we get close to the end of time that I want to make sure I ask you because I love to ask everyone, um, what are a few things that people don't know or understand about what you're excellent at? 
Um, you know, I thought about this because you gave me some of these questions in advance. And one of them I wrote down is, um, and this is something that I've wrestled with and, and have had various breakthroughs with. And, and that's really the definition of long term in terms of life, our life. Like we, we tend to think that setting long term goals means set a goal for what you want at, in six months or nine months or maybe a year. That's, that's long term. And when it comes to your health and well-being, how long did it take you to get in the condition you're in that you don't like? You know, did it take 20 years? Did it take 15 years? It didn't happen in six months. It took a long time. So it's not going to be quick to change the things. Probably it's not going to be quick. You'll, you'll get some results within six weeks. Like, like people get results all the time doing the whole life challenge. But if you want really long-term results, you're, you've got to shift that thinking from six months is long term to maybe six years is long term. Or this, you know, like this is a 10 year plan. Like I'm gonna get this back, but it's gonna be slow and consistent and my life's gonna look completely different in 10 years, but I'm gonna get there gradually. And maybe I'll set some guideposts along the way, but it's it's a whole different context long term. That's a great one. I think you're so right. I think we all, especially in today's world with instant gratification, we want to fix the problem yesterday or at least in five minutes. And you're right. The hard things in life take a little more time for sure. Yeah. I also, you know, another one that came up for me was, was about finding joy, um, finding joy in, in everyday life. The mundane, I think one of the ways to get through things that feel mundane are to choose them. Like, Instead of saying, I've got to do this, you get the opportunity to say, I want to do this. And I, I, I know that sounds kind of, you know, like, well, yeah, of course you could do that. But it really makes a difference. And finding a way to find joy in these, in these little moments. You know, I, there was a CrossFit saying that, that used to go, it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. And it's probably the phrase that has stuck with me the longest. Because, I, you know, a workout doesn't have to be fun. No, it's not actually supposed to be fun. But when you're done, you get this feeling of satisfaction inside and you speak about it in a way that sounds like you had fun. It's a very, it's a very odd thing. And um, I think one of the strategies I've used over the years of staying on track is finding joy in it, in it. you know, like finding something you really want to learn how to do and, and learn it and um, align your life up with those things that bring you joy. Like, if it brings you joy to to do stuff with your kids, find a way to incorporate fitness into your life with your kids and, and do it with them. Like, what a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. I interviewed someone recently who took that to a new level. She actually, her kids' sports, she does it with them, including competitive diving. Like when they practice, she does it too. I'm super impressed with that. I did that with soccer, with my son's soccer team. I, he got to a level where I really couldn't do that anymore. But we still have a family fun day on Sundays and the, the dads go out and they play with the kids and against the kids and they have they get a kick out of it. That is so cool. Okay, so next question. Do you have a favorite book or a book that's been really meaningful in your life? Yeah, you know, I thought about that too. I, it, probably the book that's been the most useful and in kind of prying open my desire to explore my, like self-improvement was really, the, the first book was really um, Tim Ferriss's uh, The 4-Hour Workweek. But there have been so many books along the way that have had a massive impact. The, the first one that pried me open from an emotional standpoint that got me working with a life coach that showed me that failed relationship after failed relationships were happening, it wasn't them that was the problem. I mean, certainly they had their part, but I also had my part that I hadn't been seeing. It was a book called Codependent No More 
And uh, that book rocked me. I mean, that book just, <laughs> I mean, talking about pulling the veil up over top of something that was completely hidden and invisible to me, that book got me, got me going to do a lot of work on myself. So yeah, I think, I think those are probably up right up there. Great recommendations. And of course, I'm familiar with the four hour work week and I love it as well, but you're not the first person to mention codependent no more. So I'm adding that one to my reading list. That sounds like an amazing book. It's not an easy one, especially if you have, if you find out that you've been codependent in your life, that's what, that was the big revelation for me. I'm like, I'm not, what do I need this book for? In fact, I think I sat down to read it a couple of times and I got through the first chapter the first time and I judged the hell out of it and said, well, this isn't me. I'm, I don't need to read this. And, um, it, then, you know, I needed, obviously needed a little bit more time to fail at things before I went back and read it again. And then I, then I was like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> this is what I've been doing. <laughs> So those are the best, but hard for sure. But that's, that's great. Uh, is there a piece of advice that you would spread far and wide and give to everyone if you could? You know, it's funny. I, I thought about this one too. And you know, in fact, when you were on my podcast, we talked a little bit about, about this. I've learned over the years that advice giving is generally a bad idea when it's not asked for. I, I know you're asking for it, um, for, for everybody, but I'm, I'm so attuned to not giving advice uh, until somebody asks me, you know, is, is a request for advice and help. But I guess if, if there was one thing that I would encourage people to take on, it would be being an explorer as opposed to being a researcher. Like do your research and find the information, but then have the courage to take an action and, and have the courage to be wrong about the thing you, you try to fail, not to be wrong, but to fail and then to, you know, get up, dust yourself off and then try again and try to in a different, a little bit different way that works for you. And then you, cause you develop, you develop when you do that, a habit of being willing to experiment and explore. And you also develop what works for you. So you get a chance to see which I can recommend an exercise program, but it's probably not the perfect thing for everybody in the world. So you get a chance to kind of figure out for yourself what that is. So yeah, that's what I would say. It's a great life. I'm a, a great point. I'm a huge fan of failure in life as well. I think that's how we learn the most. And in, like I said before, my hardest times and my biggest failures ended up prepping me for wonderful things later on. So I think it's an underestimated and amazing life thing that we don't give enough credit to for sure. And as we wrap up, I want to make sure people can also find you. And of course, the links will be in the show notes as well as the books you mentioned and everything you talked about. But for anyone who's just listening while driving or maybe isn't going to read the show notes, let people know where to find you online. Yeah, the best place, um, I mean, there are two places really is the wholelifechallenge.com. That's where you see and learn and hear and register for the whole life challenge. And then my personal website is andypetronic.com. And that's got, I do like a monthly newsletter and I've, all my podcasts are up there. Podcasts are also on the whole life challenge page. But if, if somebody wants to reach out to me personally, that's probably the best place to find me. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as, as at Andy Petronic. So uh, that's also an easy place. Wonderful. Andy, thank you so much for your time being here. I know you're busy and I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I hope to see you again next time on the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks as always for listening. <laughs>